church Sunday, and uh, the sun is shining, and next Sunday, hey, listen, don't get upset about the clocks being turned ahead, because uh, we get that extra hour of daylight at the end of the day. Come on. I mean, listen, go to bed an hour early if you need to, you know, or come to the early service, because you won't you forget to set your clock ahead. Right? That, is that what happened? No, no, yeah. Yeah, right, spray head fall back, yeah, whatever that means. All right, so you know, you know, you know what to do, um, and... Uh, it's great. It's a great time of year. Uh, two weeks from today, Jesse Comrie will be here speaking. He'll, have, uh, he'll be uh, ministering, and uh, he's one of our missionaries as well. He, he fulfills, I think, really the five of the fivefold ministries of the, of the pastor, evangelist, pa- uh, uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Jesse would actually fill all those, and he'll be ministering that Sunday morning, so come expecting to be blessed. I'll be at Hazleton that day actually preaching and then installing a new minister in uh, one of their campuses, and so uh, Jesse's going to be preaching here that day, so it'll be exciting. Um, and it was great to hear about the uh, good turnout yesterday for the food pantry. I was not here because I was teaching at the District School of Ministry down in Bethlehem yesterday, and um, I thought the class went really great. I don't, you have to ask some of the students about that if they think it did, but I think it went really great. So it was great to be there yesterday teaching as well. So, um, But this morning, I'm actually starting a two-part series. It's just a short series. But it's going to be on the God who sees. And it actually steps off where we left off last week. And last week we were talking about how God works and he, uh, he reveals himself. Uh, through the gener- it's a generational uh, display that God gives uh, from each generation. He's faithful. Um, but he, we build off of where we were you know, in times past into where we are today. And so we're thankful that God continues to move. And so we're going to actually look at a couple characters from the Old Testament this week, and then one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament next week as we look at this idea of God being the God who sees. And so remember, it said that he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai from last week, the overpowering God. But then he appears to, uh, to Jacob's children um, as Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah, whoever we want to pronounce that or mispronounce it. And, um, and uh, so it's a little more personal. And so we're going to look at two Interestingly enough, two women today from the Hebrew Bible and two women who were not Hebrews. And so, um, and again, what I, li- I want to challenge you with is the idea that, you know, sometimes we think that we have a corner on God. And I want you to know that we serve the Lord, we serve God, and, and, and there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. But God speaks to all people, right? Even unsaved people. <clears throat> God speaks even to pagans. His voice, it goes out to everybody. And not everybody receives it. Not everybody hears it. And, and unless you come through Christ, you can't really, you can't make heaven. You can't know the Father without the Son. But he speaks to all people. And so, you know, the person that you look at, that you look down on, the, you know, the drunk in the, in the gutter, so to say, uh, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to him too. You know? And in fact, sometimes... Sometimes the drunk in the gutter listens to God's voice more than some of us do, right? You know? So, uh, so today we want to look at, and I, I'm not going to give you a spanking right off the bat here. I'm just trying to let you know, listen, this, you know, God is, he's, he's reaching out to all people, you know? And, and, and not all people respond to his voice, but he is reaching, he's calling out to all, especially in these last days. I mean, he is pouring himself out like never before around the world. And so we have, to, we have to be willing to hear his voice and as well to share that with those around us uh, who really need it. So we're going to look today at someone I preached about about three months ago, Hagar, 
as we look at this idea of the God who sees. And she's actually the one who, who gives us the name here that we're going to talk about here in just a few moments. So Hagar, if you know who Hagar was, if you remember, you can, you can go to Genesis chapter 16 and read her story. And we'll read it in just a moment. But she's the slave girl of, of Sarai. Abram's wife. And so Abraham becomes Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. Once God finally gets them to empty themselves out of who they are and they're able to accept who God wants them to be. But at this point, Sarai has an Egyptian slave named Hagar. All right. And so um, we don't know much about her other than she was a slave. We don't know how she became a slave. And let me just say this as well, just right off the top, because we live in a very pervasive culture today. And so um, in this story, I want you to look at it and see how this story could be sort of judged by today's cancel culture. All right? Because I want you to know we're, we're on the precipice in our culture of canceling. It's not just Dr. Seuss. We're on the precipice of cancel, canceling the Bible. All right? The Bible is going to get canceled very, very soon, I believe. And so, and so you, you have better be ready for that because... What is your response going to be when it becomes when it becomes told that the Bible is a is a is a wicked book and it's banned and it is canceled and it's a hate book? Are you still gonna you're gonna you're gonna still approve of it? You're still gonna go to church when when church is looked at as being something negative and those days are coming. They're if you can't see them, your your head is I'm not gonna say where your head is, but if you can't see them. Just use your imagination, all right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, it, it's going to be canceled. And, uh, you know, churches may be canceled. <clears throat> What's your response going to be? It's been so easy to just, through COVID, it's been so easy to not attach yourself to church. Just watch it at home, you know? I'm not against that. We do a virtual service every week. I'm, I'm all for that. But listen, what is, what is when, when, when persecution starts to come, what is your response going to be? And so I want you to look at this story, not just for the story's value, but look at it in today's setting and wonder how this story would be different if the cancel culture was using it. And those of you who are in the cancel culture, we'll pray for you to get out of it because it's just it's going to destroy you. You'll be canceled eventually in the cancel culture. Everybody gets canceled, right, because you all have issues, right? And so they're going to come to the service, and eventually you'll, you'll, you'll discover you're canceled too. Right? So Hagar's story. Um, in this story, I want you to also look at how Hagar feels in this story. Okay? In Genesis chapter 16, we're going to look at Hagar's story with Hagar, Hagar and Elroy, the God who sees. All right? Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. And right away, I mean, Hagar's blaming God. <clears throat> right? Right off the bat. Remember, this, this, is, hey, this is Sarah, Sarah, you know, the father of Isaac, the, grandmother of, uh, the mother of Isaac, the grandmother of Jacob. I mean, this is a heavy hitter in the scriptures here. And right away, she's just blaming God. How many of you know that that happens easily in our lives, right? Something bad happens, and why did the Lord do that? All right? Okay. Um, the Lord has kept me from having children. So here's her bright idea. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I could build a family through her. A bad idea right off the bat, okay? Right, this is not recommended. Um, <laughs> uh, this should not fly. Uh, this, this puts the dis in dysfunction in this family, right? 
I mean, they're messed up, right? All right, so let's go on here. So Abram, the man of faith, says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, took his, took, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, and that's, boy, you, you, nobody saw that one coming, right? You know? Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. <laughs> I put my slave in your arms, and now that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, now let's bring God in it. Let's not blame him. Let's bring him in to judge. Right? I mean, listen, I mean, come on, this is a bonehead idea. There's no doubt about this. And uh, Abram, Abram was all too willing. Okay, dear, if you insist, I guess I can sleep with your slave, I suppose. I mean, does that strike anybody as a little odd? Right? Okay, it's just not, it's just not what you would uh, uh, expect in a, in, in, it's more of a lifetime movie, you know, than a Hallmark, Right? Okay, um, and so what, is, what does Abram say? Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do, what you, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And so, listen, this is, this is just not, this is not good stuff, right? This is not the way you do things. I mean, this is not how you treat others. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near, near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So there's a couple of interesting things in the story we want to look at as we, you know. um, Number one, Abram and Sarai, as they talk about her, they don't even use her name. Do you notice that? They call her my slave or your slave. I mean, there's no respect whatsoever for Hagar at all, you know? But when the Lord comes across her, how does the Lord refer to her? As Hagar. He calls her by name, you know? And, and I, I love it. I, I sat in on a two-hour, what was an hour and a half, thank God, um, uh, Zoom call this week with the ecumenical group I sit on, and and uh, right now we're, we're discussing, like, uh, you know, injustice in, in, in our nation and, uh, you know, racial inequality and that kind of stuff. And, and listen, the reality is this. There's always injustice. And, you know, listen, a person doesn't get justice when they get revenge. It, it, you, can't, you can't fight hate with hate. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? What is wrong with our nation? You know, you can't fight hate with hate. You can't, you can't fight injustice with injustice. I mean, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, that was the, the whole thing of his, his ministry, was you can't fight those things with them. You have to love on people. You know? That's why he was such an incredible voice in our nation. 
where, where's his replacement today? There's nobody saying what he said. You know, and so in this, it's amazing. God, do you notice, God does not set her free from her slavery. Did you see that? That's another reason why this book will be canceled. I mean, I'm serious. Right? Because in our nation, that's all that matters at this point. Right? So this is going to get canceled, just so you know. I'm not, being, I'm not saying that as a prophetic word. I'm just saying it because I, I have two eyes in my head. And I can see things. You know what I'm saying? Not my imaginary friends. I can see what's happening, you know, in, in, in our society. And so God does not tell her, hey, you're free. You're, you're, just go and, and, and I'll make a great nation out of your son. No. Go back to your mistress and be submissive to her. Wow, that is enough to get canceled today. All right? So she does. She goes back. But it's, before she goes back, it's interesting because this Egyptian woman who is not a child of the promise, right? She's not a child of the promise. She gives God a name. Very few people in the Bible get to do this. Uh, Hagar is one of them. So she actually gives God a name. She, she calls him El Roy, the God who sees. Isn't it interesting? I mean, there's a lot of heavy hitters in, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible. Very few of them get to give God a name. But she gives God a name that God actually accepts. Right? And he's like, yeah, I'll own that. That's right. I am the God who sees Hagar, and I see you. And, of course, we know later on she has, a, she has an encounter with God again when Ishmael is just, a, you know, a young teen, and God responds to her in the same way. And so, listen, what's responsible on our part is we have to make sure we don't treat people like Abraham did. You know, you, just because you're a believer doesn't give you a right to be nasty to people. Some of you should just cancel your social media accounts entirely. Because if you can't say nothing good, don't say anything at all. So that would cut out half of, your, half of the stuff you put up. Right? I mean, come, listen, we don't have a right to mistreat people. We don't have a right to say nasty things about people, even if they're true. Well, they're true, so just shut up about it. You don't need to say it, you know, because God sees, listen, you know, whoever touches you touches the apple of your eye. That's what, we love to quote that back to God, but that applies to our brothers and sisters too. And so it's not just us. I love it when pe- preachers use that verse, touch not the Lord's anointed. Well, who of us are not the Lord's anointed, right? If you're not anointed, why aren't you? Right? It's not just, a, I, hopefully your preacher's anointed. I, you know, I hope your preacher's anointed. <laughs> so, yeah, don't touch me, but I shouldn't touch you either. Right? You know? So, so this is really, this really, you know, for, for 2021, this, this word is very powerful. Because this is what our nation is, is, is totally off kilter on. And, and it, it's so sad. Like I said, I sat in that meeting, and, and this is, the churches, this is their total focus. What is that? There aren't unsaved people. There aren't people who need to know the gospel anymore. You know, all we're concerned about, hey, listen, I, I, we're concerned about people's well-being too. That's why we did the food distribution yesterday. You know, we care about people as well. But listen, we could give people food. And they, in fact, they could actually come to the food pantry and, and, and fill up their, their entire pantry. But unless they know Christ, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. <laughs> so I mean, it's not that we don't think Giving them food is important. Of course it is. But that's not our main focus. Our main focus is that person coming to a relationship with the Almighty God who will make a difference in them for all of eternity. 
right? So in this, we can understand a couple of things. Have you ever felt like Hagar? Have you ever been in a place where you're like, nobody sees me? Have you ever felt alone, abused, neglected? You know, come on, we've all been there. Some of you have been there a long time. You know, others, maybe it's just time to time you feel that way. But we have to remember, you know, John Donne in his devotions all the way back in 1624 said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Yet it seems so often that we really don't feel like we're part of that main, right? We feel like an island, isolated, you know, rejected maybe. But in that time, we have to know that God sees us. Know that God sees you. Just like Hagar you know, Hagar, who was uh, rejected by the people that, you know, that owned her, literally, um, she comes out and God sees her and God sees you as well. Consider the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. I mean, God takes care of them. If he takes care of them, isn't he going to take care of you? You're his child. They're just birds and plants. You know, not that they're not important, but I mean, God takes care of them. Isn't he going to take care of you as well? You know, I, I, we, can, we know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he knew us before we were formed in our mother's wombs. You know, we were purchased by God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We understand these things to be true. So if those things are true, God sees us. He sees where we are. He knows where we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece, it says in the message translation. We are his work of art. We are, according to that, you know, his magnum opus. His masterpiece. So that why? So that um, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so know that God sees you and he has a plan for your life. Know that God has something for you. You know, you might be young here. You might say, I don't know what God has for me. Guess what? God has great plans for you. Incredible plans. Maybe Maybe you're the oldest person in this congregation. I won't point them out. Maybe you're the oldest person in this congregation. God still has plans for you too, you know? It doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum. You could be little Henry here, or I won't say it, but you could be, you understand what I'm saying? You could be anywhere in between. Mom, I won't say it. And um, <clears throat> well, is Cliff older or is mom older? Is, is, oh, they're both pointing at each other. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter where you fall in between there. God has a plan for you. You know, he has a purpose for your life. Understand that and, and know that, you know. Um, even more than that, God knows your name. You know, <laughs> you're not just hey you to God. Or how many of you have been around and like you, you ran into somebody you knew and you're like, hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> That's my go-to. Or my go- Actually, my big go-to is, Hey, brother, how you doing? You know? And, like, the person is like, do you know me? <laughs> I mean, God knows your name. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, he, he calls you. He, he, he knows. And it's not the name people call you that he uses, you know? Hey, Ditz. <laughs> no, no, God knows your name. And he calls it out. And it's just such a wonderful thing. You know, that word Hagar must have really been like, it must have been like, like a warm feeling for her. I know she was in a desert, but it just must have made her feel so good to have God call her Hagar and hear her name being called. Not slave, not disgusting one, come here. 
you know, not Ab- I mean, Abram doesn't even refer to her as, and he slept with her. He doesn't refer to her by, his, by her name. What a cad. He's going to get canceled. <laughs> All right. God also sees, <laughs> God also sees you. You can tell I'm a little sarcastic about the whole cancel culture thing, can't you? That's right. I'm sorry, if you're into that, just get over it. All right, uh, God sees your situation as well. <laughs> you know, he sees where you are. He, he knows what's going on. And so he knows what's happening in your bank account. He knows what's happening in your family. He knows what's happening at your work. And, and guess what? He's, he, you know, maybe stuff isn't going to get better initially, but God is going to be with you in the midst of those things. And he sees your need. You know, God came to Hagar. Isn't that amazing? God came to her. She didn't go to the wilderness. She's like, God, where are you? She's just sitting there because she's just despondent. And the Lord appears to her. How cool is that? God also appears to us and said he will meet our needs. He cares for us. First Peter chapter 5, Peter writes to us and says, we can even cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. How powerful is that? I mean, now, remember, we have him, and we'll talk about this a little more next week, but we don't have El Roy, the God who sees. We don't have Yahweh. We don't have El Shaddai. We have Jesus who's right with us in the midst of it. All right, let's look at somebody else here in the, Old Te- in the Hebrew Bible before we move on uh, into the Lord's Supper today. And that's the, uh, another one of these uh, foreign women from the Old Testament, Ruth. So Ruth, and in fact, I actually preached a series on Ruth back in 2015. I went back and checked my records, and it was actually pretty good. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was. And, um, and it was fun, too, because I, I had always wanted to do a series on Ruth. But in this story, it's like this, it's just like, this is definitely a lifetime movie for sure. This is a tragic thing, you know. And so this woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech, they live in Israel, and they take their two sons, because there's a famine there, they take their two sons and they go to Moab, because there's a little more food in Moab. And in Moab, they're like the cousins of the Israelites. And so if you know who they are, if you look at a map of Israel, uh, to the northeast of Israel, on this side, um, is the Ammonites. And then below them are the Moabites, and then below them are the Edomites. And sometimes you hear those terms. And so who were they? So, so Ammon... The Ammonites were the children, the nation that descended from Lot, Abram's nephew Lot, and his incestuous relationship with his younger daughter. Okay? If you don't know that story, go back to the book of Genesis and read it, because it is freaky, all right? It really is. And so um, they're the Ammonites, and so they're like related to the Israelites, but they're, but they're not Jews, they're not Israelites, and so they don't really worship, they don't worship uh, Yahweh. And then in the middle to the east of Israel is the Moabites from Moab. Moab was the child that Lot had with his older daughter. Yeah, I'm not making it up. That's right. All right, that's dysfunction junction right there. So the Moabites are, are the people, they're, they're related to the Israelites, but they're not Israelites. And then below them are the Edomites. The Edomites were the children descended from um, Jacob's twin brother Esau, the hairy one. All right, and so um, they're related to the Israelites, and so there was a lot of travel in between those nations, and sometimes Israelites would live amongst them, and sometimes they would live amongst Israelites. It was common during that day. And so uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they go with their two sons to Moab because there's more food there, and while they're there, the two sons get 
um, Moabite wives. And so one marries Ruth and one marries a Moabite woman named Orpah. And while they're there, <clears throat> um, Elimelech dies and Naomi's two sons both die as well. So it's an utterly tragic story of these three widowed women living together. And finally, Naomi comes up with this idea, I'm going to go back to my homeland. I'm going to go back to Israel. And so Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws that are living with her, hey, listen, go back to your homes, you know, to your family's home, get a new man. You're young enough. You've still got something going for you. So go back and, you know, f- get your own lives. Go back to your, to your family. Go back to your gods and, and everything. Because the gods of the Moabite, the god of the Moabites was a god by the name of Chemoth. Or Chemosh, it looks like. It looks like Chemosh, but it's, it's, it's pronounced Chemoth. And so the god Chemoth was not Yahweh. It was a false god. And so Ruth was raised worshiping this false god of Chemoth. And um, Orpah goes, okay, I'll go back to my family. Thanks, Naomi. You know, peace out. And she leaves. But Ruth decides that she is going to make a change in her life. All right? And this is an interesting thing. Um, She's willing to go with, with Naomi. And Naomi is going to head back to a place called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. And so there's this choice that Ruth is given. And she can stay with her family back in Moab and serve Chemoth. Or she can go where Yahweh reigns. And she can go and expect to be fed by Yahweh in this house of bread with her mother-in-law. And so she goes with her. And it's interesting. If you look at it, Ruth's redemption uh, begins right there and then in that place um, where you can read it here with me here in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, where her first redemption was repentance and conversion. There was repentance and conversion on Ruth's heart. And so she understands that, listen, um, where I'm at right now stinks. I, I married into this family, and all the men in this family died. I mean, there's something about that family, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so her situation is bad. It's a terrible situation. But she does, what, what she does is she allows the badness of that situation to walk her through conversion and repentance. And often the bad situations in our lives are God's way of walking us through repentance and work, walking us through conversion and walking us through a new answer, proving a miracle in our lives. You know, when, when something bad happens, we, we blame God, and God is like, wait, I, I want to use this for your good. Now, God may not send it. I don't, I, listen, don't be one of those people who thinks, well, God killed those guys. That's, listen, life just happens. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes the dog bites, the bee stings. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you get in a car accident. Sometimes bad things happen. You fall off a ladder, whatever the case may be. It's not God doing them. I, I, I hate it so much when I hear Christians that, that really, they use the Lord's name in vain when they, like somebody has a, a, a baby that dies and, and someone goes to them and says, oh, the Lord took them. No. That child was born into a fallen world. And sometimes bad things happen even to children. And don't blame God when those bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. In fact, bad things happen to good people, right? Or worse yet, and I talked about this yesterday in my class, worse yet, they'll be like, oh, God took your little girl because he needed an angel. What, what book are you reading? I mean, that is not even, that's not even good theology. Listen, bad things happen. But God works through those bad things in our lives and allows there to be a conversion in us. You know, even as believers, God changes our heart more and more as, as, as those things happen. 
if we allow him to do it, we don't get bitter. So in this uh, verse 16, it says here, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So she's basically saying to her, hey, listen, no longer will I follow Kemoff. Kemoff, I, Kemoff is gone in my life. I will now follow Yahweh. I will serve your God. He'll be my God. This is the change that takes place in Ruth. Where you die, I'll die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She pledges herself to this woman, this woman who was her, her mother-in-law, but she's not anymore, legally. But So what does she do? She pledges herself to her. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So she leaves Moab. She leaves the, places, the place of Chemoth to travel and relocate in Bethlehem, the house of bread. When she gets there, it's amazing. You know, she's there with her, her mother-in-law who's grown up in, in Judaism. She knows what it is to serve God. She knows the goodness of God. She's memorized many of the Psalms. Ruth had none of that. You know, she's memorized much of the Old Testament as any good Jewish person would have done back in that day. And when they arrive back in Bethlehem, what happens? It shows that Ruth is willing to work. And Naomi, Naomi is playing the blame game. She's playing the blame game. Listen to this. This is like she's going for an Academy Award here or something. You know, when she talks to the women, you know how it is. You get around a person and they're like, they start talking, the violins start playing behind them, right? Because it's just so terrible. And here's Naomi. Verse 19, so the two women went on till they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? What does she say? Hey, I'm back. No, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. (laughs) You know, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Hmm. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. I mean, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not denying that the woman went through some hard times here. But listen, when you go through hard times, come on, buck up, buttercup. Listen, God wants to work at us in those times. And listen, have you gone through, how many of you have gone, seriously, how many of you have had hard things happen in your life? Raise your hand. Look around. Come on, look around. There's a couple liars that don't have their hands up. But I mean, you know, I mean, we've all gone through hard things. I mean, come on. Everybody's gone through hard times. Everybody can sing. We can all sing the blues at some point in our life, right? And so, listen, let me just tell you this. When you get around other people, they don't just want to hear how bad your life is. There are some people, they're like skilled storytellers about how bad their life is. And that's why you see people running away from you, Right? I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to share with somebody, but listen, don't blame God when everything goes wrong in your life. Because guess what? Wrong things happen in all of our lives. Injustice happens to everybody. So some more than others. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that some people are really mistreated. Of course they are. But you are not the answer for those people who are mistreated. And so when you post what is totally wrong in your life on social media, you're not getting any help from that. Your help needs to come from one who can actually change the situation. The one who is all-powerful. Trust him. You know? And so 
Naomi, she's there, and she's just like, I almost, like, she sort of stops, and somebody hands her an Oscar as she says this, you know, because it's just her life's so terrible. Is that what Ruth is saying? No. Ruth's not playing the blame, blame game. Ruth decides, listen, while this is happening, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go out and get, get a job. And so she actually goes, and it's not even a great job. She goes into the fields to glean. After the people harvest the grain, what's left was left for the poor folks. And so Ruth goes in this place, and she begins to glean amongst all the people. And like people are looking at her like, hey, who's that? And then, can you imagine what they're saying about her? Oh, that's, that's Naomi's um, Moabite daughter-in-law. That's what they're saying about her. But, but there's a guy. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> His name is Boaz, <laughs> you know? And he looks at this woman and he's like, hey, who's that girl? She don't look like the locals here, you know? She don't talk like the locals here. She's working hard. Who is she? Oh, oh, oh. And I know, don't get freaked out. Like, she's like your fourth cousin. And that was okay back then, Okay. Like, you don't go looking for a mate at your family reunions. You know what I'm saying? But back then it was allowed um, to some degree. And so um, they, they form a relationship because she's not, she's not playing the blame game. She's just working hard. And then isn't it interesting? She goes to Naomi and tells Naomi what's going on. And long story short, Naomi gives her some instructions. Go ahead and read it. It's just weird what she tells you. I wouldn't recommend any of you to do this, you know. Um, but she tells her what to do, and, and Ruth follows the example of what, what Naomi says to do, and she becomes engaged to Boaz. Of course, they become married, and Ruth is willing to listen to what Naomi has to tell her to do. And because of that, Boaz marries Ruth. She goes from, you know, from riches, from rags to riches to rags, back to riches, really, riches. And uh, Boaz and, and uh, Ruth have a child by the name of Obed. And Obed has a child by the name of Jesse. And then Jesse, of course, has a son down the line. His youngest son's name is David. And he becomes the king of Israel, the greatest king Israel ever had. In fact, the one that when Jesus comes back, they're going to tell him, you're going to sit on the throne of David. How cool is that? Because she wasn't willing to play the blame game. It talks about Ruth and it talks about her humility, her comeliness, her industry, her morality. She didn't blame God for what happened. She was willing to do the work it needed. She understood that God saw her. Even though she wasn't raised in church like, like uh, Naomi was, Ruth knew enough about God because of what she saw with her mother-in-law. She knew enough about God perhaps because of what her husband taught her. who We don't know about him. Or maybe her father-in-law. We don't know. But the reality is she was able to serve God, and God used her mightily. And she is one of the few women that are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And she's a Moabite. Her family background is incestuous relationship between a father and his oldest daughter. That's her tradition. And God uses her to be part of the bloodline of Jesus. Wow. I don't care where you're at. There's, listen, God's going to use you if you're willing to let him use you. If you're willing to not play the blame game, if you're willing to submit to him and learn through those times and know that the God is a God who sees where you're at, God has something great in store for you as well. Amen? So <clears throat> it brings us to the Lord's Supper here today. And so we have, if you didn't receive your... You didn't receive the, your communion when you came in, sort of raise your hand. Uh, some of our board members will bring them around. If you didn't get a packet, there's a couple over here, you know. 
And so uh, I'd encourage you to start working on trying to get the wafer out. So this morning, to get mine out, I had to, I had to actually take out my pocket knife and cut it. <laughs> All right, so if you're struggling with it, start now. Because <laughs> you get it out. <laughs> but I did get it out. And so it brings us to the Lord's Supper today as we approach this. And Pastor Heather, could you come on up onto the keyboards here? If the worship team, you guys could come up too as well. We're going to do a song at the end. How's that sound? Is that good with everybody? Good. I'm glad you agree because we're doing it whether you like it or not. So, <clears throat> so um, in this, <clears throat> Hagar is there in the desert by herself. I mean, she's all alone, but God is with her. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? You know, um, we, don't, we don't know God that way because God lives inside of us now. We don't have to go someplace to find him. He's here. He's in you. If you're a believer, Jesus literally lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is there. I mean, you know, I mean, he's there. He, his, his dwelling presence is in you. I know it's, we, we came to church to worship him, but the reality is he's with you just as much outside the church as he is inside the church, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not discounting the power of coming together. Of course, that's important, you know, but, but Jesus is with you because he's in you. And so as he meets with his disciples, he, he gives them this bread and this cup to remind them that he will be with them. He's not just the God who looks at a distance. He sees from a distance and calls us by name. Although for us, that might give you comfort today, knowing that God sees you and he, he knows you by name, but he doesn't just know you by name. He dwells in you. He's with you. And so when, when good times happen, he's with you. I, I would encourage you to, you know, um, we, we pray for our food and ask God to bless it because we don't want to get fat or we don't want to have the you know, preservatives affect us or whatever or just to thank him. But maybe we need to look at thanking him and asking him if the meal was good for him too because he lives inside of you, you know. And so this presence of God is with us in, in way, more, uh, way more power than what Hagar knew, way more power than what Ruth knew. And yet, because he's with us, we have a hope for tomorrow because he dwells in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes and he says, For I received from the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night as betrayed took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take eat, this bread is my body, which is broken for you, to do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake of this bread in just a moment, we do it to remember Christ. But more than that, even as this bread goes into our mouth and it goes throughout all of our system, Christ's presence permeates us too. And may that God who's with you, may you know that he sees. May you understand this. So, Lord, we partake of this bread in just this moment. We thank you. The Lord, you see us. You know us because you're with us. And we partake of this bread to thank you for the work that you did on the cross, that your body was broken for us. We take it and we receive it with gladness and thankfulness to you that you are the God who knows us. And we, in turn, can know you.
receive this now with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Heather, can you lead us in our first verse of this song? again I have a maker I have a maker he formed my heart before even time began my life was in his hand come on now say it out he knows our name same manner after supper Jesus takes the cup and he says to them this cup is a new covenant in my blood I mean think about it it's not just a God who sees you and hears you it's a God who bled for you gave his life for you Jesus died suffered terribly was bled out for you and for me as we take this cup we remember Jesus that you bled and died for us we thank you, Lord, that you never leave us. You don't leave, ever leave us alone because, God, you are with us. Thank you for your presence that goes through us, Lord. It's your blood that courses through our spiritual veins that we might receive that eternal life that you have promised us. Our sins are forgiven. Our lives are covered by your blood. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We receive this cup now today, thanking you for all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the cup. Sing that last stanza. We sing this last verse in the chorus of this song. He knows my name. I have a father. He calls me his own.
thank Him for hearing Your voice, for knowing You. Lord, we just thank You for loving us, God, for hearing us, for calling us by name. Lord, other people may call us names, but God, I'm thankful You know us. You called us. You set Your Spirit alive inside of us. And help us to go forth in Your power. I'm thankful that You are El Roy, but I am so much more thankful that You are Jesus, the one who's with me right now the one who walks with me, sticks closer than a brother, the one who is in my life, the one who suffered and died for me and provided all that the Father has. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Now, Lord, bless your people. Touch them right now, Jesus. The one who's closer than a brother. Holy Spirit, release your power upon their lives that they might go forth from this place as sons and daughters of righteousness who you have called them to be. Lord, bless them and give them authority over the enemy in their lives, in their families, in their places of employment, in their schools. God, help them to stand firm and strong for you because, Lord, you have placed yourself in them, O God. You are that God who knows us and walks with us. Lord, be powerful in your people's lives. Bless them. Make them a blessing. Fulfill your promises in them. Challenge their hearts. Lord, if they've been playing the name game, the blame game right now, Lord, they lay that aside. No longer will they blame you for the problems in their life. They'll turn to you for the solutions in their life, Lord. They'll turn to you for the answers in their life. Not blaming you, not calling down a curse upon you or upon themselves or upon someone else but they'll turn to you as the God who is all-powerful, working through his children, that you have truly put your hand upon us and that we are called. That, Lord, before we were even formed in our mother's wombs, you called us and you had a purpose for us, O God. May we fulfill that in our lives in these days to come. We thank you, we bless you, we praise you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Bless your people now this day. Make them a blessing. Well, thank you. Thank you for all you do. Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Lord bless you folks. Have an awesome, awesome week. Thanks.